Our New Testament reading this morning is found in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Hear the word of the Lord. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he, that is Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come, we come to hear a new teaching with authority. Not one spoken by a man, but one spoken by you. God, that you would teach us from your word, that you would teach us from your very mouth, we pray, Jesus. Would you bless us in the hearing of your word? May you transform and change our lives by it. We are here to listen to your word. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. On November 10th, 1938, at approximately 9.05 a.m., Mustafa Kemal Ataturk died. Not a single person in the nation of Turkey does not know this day or even this time that he died. For every year at that exact time, the entire nation stops. Trains, buses, businesses, everything. Everything just stops. And for at least one whole minute, they stand in silent remembrance. They revel over what he accomplished. And if I'm honest, I'm not sure a human accomplished more than, uh, for a nation than what Ataturk did. See, in the face of the Ottoman Empire's loss of, uh, in World War I, the war general Mustafa Kemal led a revolution he kicked out foreign powers, and he formed the Republic of Turkey. He changed their alphabet. He required education for children. He created a whole new governmental system, and he delivered unprecedented agricultural, industrial, and technological advances. If you asked the average Turk if you could meet anyone, have a conversation with or be in the presence of anyone, who would it be? Many would say Ataturk. But what about you today? If you could meet anyone, be with anyone, have a conversation with anyone, who would it be? Children. Children. Who would you like to meet? Perhaps it would be Spider-Man or the Ninja Turtles. Perhaps Winnie the Pooh or the Bernstein Bears. Maybe a great author like Laura Ingalls Wilder or Beatrix Potter or maybe from, for some of the older kids, J.R.R. Tolkien. Adults, do you remember meeting someone that you esteemed greatly? Do you recall the exhilaration of standing in their presence? Was your life changed as you gave yourself to the lessons that you learned? If we're all honest, too quickly we forget the amazement of such experiences, the exhilaration of hearing that person, or perhaps forgetting the impactful words they said to us. Of course, this is true with our faith as well. 
the amazement, the exhilaration or impactful words we experienced or heard about the triune God, in time they lose their shine, don't they? Frankly, every day we don't care what kind of authority Jesus has in our life. We perhaps hear the word and we think, I've heard this before. This isn't very powerful in my life. We think, I'm glad I have my faith, but also glad that it doesn't run all of my life. Well, in Mark chapter 1, 21 to 28, a group of people in Capernaum stand in the presence of the Holy One of God. And they experience such amazement, exhilaration at his impactful words that we must ask, how did it impact their confession of Christ? For you today, how will it impact your confession of Christ? Well, let's, before anything else, let's begin by retracing this story. So we come to verses uh, 21 to 22, and it sets the stage for us. So Jesus, with his four new followers, which he picked up in the passage just before this, they enter Capernaum, a town on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and immediately on the Sabbath, they go into the synagogue. Now, the Sabbath was and and is uh, a day that God gave for rest and for worship. It was meant to be the blessing for the Jew and, and for us as well. For those who did not live in Jerusalem, though, not near the temple of God, where God's presence was promised, uh, they would gather in synagogues. uh, And they would do that on the Sabbath uh, for worship. Now, synagogues were the very center of the local life and the culture in the town. Children were educated there, civil cases were tried there, and it was where prayers were offered in the Torah, the the scriptures, the Old Testament, or at least part of it, as we'd say it. uh, This is where they were taught. Now, those who were taught the scriptures were called scribes or, or rabbis. Now, a rabbi, uh, translated, is, it means my great one. It feels a little self-congratulatory, but uh, these men, these scribes, wore many hats. They were professors, Bible teachers, civil lawyers, and they were teaching the people morals and the faith they were based on. Now, because of this, they were immensely respected people. Wherever they went, they had the best seats. Wherever they went, people moved out of the way for them. But at times on the Sabbath and the synagogue, visiting teachers were allowed to teach the scriptures. And in verse 22, that is just what Jesus does, right? So picture this scene with me. Jesus begins speaking, and other than his voice, you could have heard a pin drop. Astonishment, amazement, perhaps even shock. This man, Jesus, teaches in a way with such authority It's unlike anything you've ever heard a respected scribe teach. And then suddenly, in the midst of this hushed astonishment, there is the piercing of a voice crying out and shouting, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In that moment, your attention is shattered from Jesus by this demon-possessed man's challenge. And you turn back to Jesus for his response. But you see, Jesus gives no magical incantation. He doesn't do a certain rain dance, or he doesn't appeal to any other power uh, or authority. He doesn't even run away, right? What does he do? He says a word, be quiet and come out of him. This is the climax of the entire scene. You see, when we read narratives, it has, the, it has the setting, it has rising tension, and then there's the climax 
of the passage, and it's right here in this passage. Because whatever happens next will either deny or confirm Jesus' authority. So verse 26, what happens? You see it, the unclean spirit convulsed, shaking the man, and it shrieked, it screamed on its way out, exiting the body. See, if you were amazed at Jesus' teaching, what about now? Verse 27, you with everyone would begin questioning, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He, Jesus, commands even the demons, and they obey. You see, Jesus here gives a new teaching with authority, which means you must believe in him as the Holy One of God. I'll say it again. This is our our main idea here in this text. Jesus gives a new teaching with authority, which means you must believe in him as the Holy One of God. You show that belief in three ways from this text we'll see. One, by accepting his supernatural authority. Two, by being amazed by his bare word. And then three, by confessing Christ with your whole life. Well, first, again, by accepting his supernatural authority. Come come back with me to verses 23 to 26. In verse 23, we are confronted with a demon. The possessed man has so lost control that it is even only the demon who speaks. You see the authority of the demon here. And the demon reveals supernatural knowledge, right? He immediately addresses Jesus of Nazareth as the Holy One of God. Now that title, the Holy One of God, is not said in this exact form of any other person in the scriptures. And commentators here believe that by the, de- by the demon naming Jesus, saying his name, that the demon was seeking to gain control over him. Sounds strange, right? Well, this was a common belief in exorcisms. If you, if you knew the demon's name and you could say his name, you would gain control over that demon. And so verse 24 then is, is perhaps likely a power grab for Jesus' authority. And it leaves the people listening wondering whose authority is greater here. Well, in ancient literature ex, uh, exorcisms, of which there, it's, it's named in a number of uh, uh, ancient literature, uh, when they were casting out demons, they would name typically two methods for exercising or expelling the demons. Now, the first was to scare or to repulse the demon out by discomforting them, even, even using intense smells, perhaps, to do whatever they could to get the demon to leave. The second thing they would pot- potentially do was to either use a, a powerful magical incantation or to invoke the name of a higher, more powerful spirit maybe a more powerful demon, to subdue this lower one. So which of those does Jesus use? Well, Jesus uses no magical incantation, right? He does no rain dance. He does not call on a higher, more powerful spirit. Jesus simply says words. Jesus says words. Be quiet. Come out of him. Do you see now why they are doubly astonished? Their world is oppressed by Satan, demons, powers that have an authority which they cannot overcome themselves. And Jesus says words. And a demon obeys. Of course they'd be astonished. In December of 1973, the the film The Exorcist was released. 
and it was telling the fictional story of a young girl who was possessed by a demon and her mother's efforts to rescue her through the help of two Catholic priests. Now, this film was uh, nominated for Best Picture that year, and it became the highest-grossing rated R film for decades in America. And this is, should be surprising to us, because even in the Western world, where for centuries we've all but closed the doors and shut the windows on the belief of the interplay between the spiritual and the physical realm, right, believing that there's an explanation for every seeming strange occurrence, people yet flocked to see this film, and films like it, they still do. Perhaps it's because we'll do anything to just feel something, right? Even if that's fear. Perhaps it's because people's lives are so powerless, so hopeless, so lifeless in every other regard that they are longing, begging for the supernatural to be real. Hence the rise of the superhero, right? They long for a superhero to be real and that perhaps it would be us. <laughs> Hence the rise of UFO sightings, which even a number of prominent generals uh, believe that it could be uh, just demons masquerading about. However, if people truly believed that demons roamed, that Satan oppressed people, if they truly even had seen or heard the voice of a demon coming out of a man, they would likely never want to witness a film even portraying it. It would be so terrifying. What about you today? Do you live in a world where demons yet roam and oppress humans, where Satan seeks to destroy people? Perhaps you say yes initially, but likely your gut feeling is no. We tend to explain away every strange or scary occurrence as only our imagination, as as something scientific, perhaps, that we just don't understand, or, or, or it's just nothing at all. It's just our feelings. It's what we tell our children or others when they're scared of the dark or something odd happens. You see, most of the world throughout history understands what the Jews in the synagogue did and what we must recapture as true today. The home, or rather the world, is home to the supernatural, to the unseen, to the demonic as well. And that in our own flesh, we are largely powerless. We are authorityless. Now, it's not that uh, there's a demon behind every rock or in every dark closet or under every bed or responsible for every bad event. But if you fail to see that evil supernatural forces are in play, then you will fail to see the world how God sees it. The natural and the supernatural inter intermingled. And worse still you will fail to be truly amazed with Jesus. You will fail to accept and be in awe of Jesus' supernatural authority. See, the things which the world and you should rightly fear in demonic activity, right? the things that you and the world cannot stop with flesh and blood, with handguns and grenades, or with bribes, with money, all of those things are undone by a word from Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Well, the demon told us, because Jesus of Nazareth is the Holy One of God, divinity inseparably united to humanity in Jesus Christ. Believing that Jesus is the Holy One of God means you must accept that your everyday world is utterly intertwined with the unseen realm, with the demonic, but that you need 
not fear it if you believe in Jesus. You see, back in Mark 1.13, Jesus faced down, bind, or bound rather, Satan. And here he exercises this demon. Therefore, you today must accept his supernatural authority, all of which is due to him being the Holy One of God. Well, the second way that we show uh, that we believe Jesus to be the Holy One of God is in being amazed by his bare word. Look back with me at verse 22. It says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. In verse 22, they were already astonished before the exorcism even. They were thunderstruck by his teaching because it had authority. So we ask, what was so different from the scribes' teaching? Well, the scribes taught the Torah, the scriptures, I'm sure, but they were also known for teaching the traditions of their elders or the traditions of the day. And we see an example of this in the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. That's where you hear Jesus repeat that phrase, You've heard it said, but I say to you. When people wrongly think that Jesus is doing away with the Old Testament, all those fuddy-duddy commandments and laws, right? But no, that's not it. Jesus was not introducing a whole new teaching. Instead, he was correcting what the scribes and the religious religious teachers had been saying, what they were teaching, right? That's why he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. See, he was correcting their teaching. He was recapturing what was actually meant in the Old Testament law in verses 5 through 7. seven. What was surprising there is that he wasn't saying the scriptures teach, but he was actually using his authority, his authority to confirm what the Old Old Testament teaching taught. Well, what about here? Are they amazed because of Jesus's passion, his immense conviction, his eloquence, or the emotion in his voice? Mark doesn't tell us. Mark doesn't even tell us what Jesus was teaching. It wasn't five steps to being holy according to Leviticus. Perhaps, though, it was about the kingdom of God come uh, in uh, Mark 1.15, right? That's what he goes everywhere preaching. It could likely be that. But either way, what is clear is that Jesus spoke based on his authority, while the scribes spoke based on the authority of someone else, traditions, elders, or their own study, it's likely they, the people sensed Jesus' authority because he speaks as who? As the Holy One of God, an authority from in and of himself, not based on research or knowledge or traditions passed down. In other words, the primary difference may not simply be the teaching, but instead the teacher Jesus' bare word carries life-changing, demon-exercising, synagogue-silencing authority. In the sitcom The Office, there's an always-too-serious character named Dwight Schrute, and he happens to win the Paper Salesman of the Year Award. And due to this, he has the privilege of delivering a speech at their annual company-wide convention. And while Dwight agonizes over how to do it, others give him suggestions. One character, Jim, convinces Dwight to model his speech off historic dictators, right? Those who banged their fists, those who shouted in repeated mantras, 
all to enforce their authority and to, to whip up the masses to do what they wanted them to do. Well, in the end, Dwight's speech, which uh, notably a speech about paper, begins with blood alone moves the wheels of history, and he has plenty of fist banging and repeated mantras. His speech ends up being a hit because of these tactics. Too often, pastors, elders, teachers, Bible study leaders, and even parents, yes, parents, perhaps believe similar tactics will make the Word of God impactful, will make the Word of God stick to people's hearts. They believe that if they just say it in the right way, then it will hit home. If I can just whip up these people by how I say these things, or, or perhaps with their favorite songs played just before, then the Word will be powerful. If I can just curate an experience for you and convince you that this is real, then Jesus' teaching will be authoritative in your life, they think. You see, Mark doesn't tell us how Jesus taught, because we are to understand that it is not how, but it is the person, the Holy One of God, the teacher's bare word that has the power, the authority that should amaze us. It's too bad we can't hear that word today, isn't it? In fact, you can, right? Jesus, called the very word of God himself, speaks to us his teaching with authority where? It's in this. It's in his scriptures, in his word. God has not allowed it to be lost, to be corrupted, or to be forgotten. Psalm 19, in speaking about the word, says it has the authority to revive your soul, to make you wise, to even bring the feeling of rejoicing to your heart. Psalm 19 goes further and says it's even sweeter than honey, or it's more valuable than great riches, than much gold. Do you believe that reading this, hearing this, meditating on this, praying it, singing it, do you believe it's powerful, that it's desirable? You see, you can never be amazed by something you don't read. You can never be astonished by something you're not hearing. And if you are not amazed by the bare word delivered to you, then it's likely that you don't believe that the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ, spoke it for you, specifically for you to hear. Pastor Matt, where are you? Pastor Matt and Pastor Ben, me, godly older men and women teaching younger believers, parents to children. You don't need fist pounding. You don't need mantras. You don't need your favorite playlist or some repeated ritual to bring authority of Christ into others' lives. No, you need only the Holy One of God to say words. The Holy One of God working through His bare word. Your eloquence, your persuading, your, brow, your browbeating, passionate speeches will all fail. But we need not lose hope, for Jesus' word has authority, and he has placed it in our hearts to believe, in our hands to deliver to others, and before our eyes and ears to read and hear ourselves. Oh, how God loves you because he has given you his word. This week, pray that God would fill your eyes with awe again over the scriptures. This week, even just create a schedule if you don't use or have one. Schedule a time to open your Bible and read for yourself, to read with your family. Children, 
when you ask mom and dad or grandma and grandpa this week to read a story to you, ask them for it to be from the Bible. And start in Mark. Uh, Ask them to start in Mark because they may have been taught from there recently. Adults, when you wonder what book should I read or listen to next, let it start with the Bible. And when the day is done and you fall onto your couch or your bed and you reach for the remote or your phone, say no. Don't I want to be more amazed than entertained? Don't I want to hear the word that has power from the Holy One of God? Oh, how he loves you for giving his teaching with authority in this word. Well, finally, finally, we believe in Jesus as the Holy One of God by confessing Christ with everything, with our whole life, our whole person. In Mark 1.21, Jesus came to the very heart of the religion, the, the place of worship on the day of worship, and what does he find? He finds scribes that are authorityless, not teaching his word. He finds a people who don't know who he is. And the only one who recognizes him is the demon in the room. What a dark and corrupted situation. But what does Jesus find when he meets us here in worship? Does he find a people who confess faith in Christ with our whole person, our whole lives? Look with me again at the demon's confession, verse 24. I paraphrase here. He says, You, man in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, you are the Holy One of God who has the authority to destroy all demons. Get this. The demon knows who Jesus is so well that when Jesus speaks, he obeys. You see here that someone can acknowledge Jesus' supernatural authority and even obey that authority and yet still not be submitted as a whole person to Christ. Look at the people's confession, verse 27. They confess and question, what is this? He commands the demons and they obey. And verse 28 says immediately, or at least implies it, the same day they spread his fame everywhere. Yet, at least not here, we don't hear them confess what the demon does. That the that this one is the Holy One of God. At least at this point, it seems they're not sure about what or who this is. I have had uh, the distinct privilege and joy of of meeting people all over the world, and and I find God so creative and amazing because of how He creates people so different, and they give different answers and think differently. And I remember asking a person once if, uh, if their faith was important to them, and they said, yes, of course. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But but I know God doesn't want my faith to dominate everything, you know, in my life. He, he doesn't want it to direct all of my life and all of my decisions all the time, right? You see, this man's confession showed that he did not understand too much of who Jesus is, but too little. What about your confession of Christ? Does Jesus have not only your acknowledgement that he is the Holy One of God, but also your whole heart? Does Jesus not only have your amazement at his claims, his teaching, but also your whole mind? Does Jesus have not only your, your Sunday church attendance, but your whole life? If you are amazed at what Jesus came to do, but it ends with you asking, what is this? 
but never answering, this is my Lord, this is my Savior, then you are not confessing that Jesus is the Holy One of God. If you agree intellectually that Jesus has supreme and supernatural authority and you try to obey him because of it, but you haven't submitted your whole life to him, then you are not confessing Jesus as the Holy One of God. I want you to grasp the stupendousness of Mark 1, 21 to 28. It's not just that Jesus amazes with his new teaching. It's not just that Jesus says but a word and casts out demons. It's that the Holy One of God left heaven. He became a man and he stood there in Capernaum in the midst of a religion that didn't recognize him among a people who were unsure of him. And that same Holy One of God goes and he dies on a cross for those people's sins, whoever would believe in him. And he does it for this people's sins here in this room, if you will believe in him. And he rises again, conquering death, and has the supreme and loving authority to offer you, yes, you, eternal life, if you but give him all of yours. Confessing Christ truly holy as the Holy One of God demands all of your life. You see, our call to worship this morning is the call to you today. Would you empty your mouth of all that you try to fill yourself with, all you try to fill your life with for meaning, and instead taste and see that the Lord is good, that blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. When you give your whole life, all of yourself, all your relationships, plans, dreams, hopes, you will agree with the psalmist from our Old Testament reading. O Lord, our Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Today you must believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God and evidence it by confessing Christ with your whole life. Indeed, the Holy One of God gave his entire life for you because he loves you. Give him yours in full. If you could meet anyone, who would it be? The God-man Jesus Christ has done more than any man could ever do for any nation, any people, at any time in all of history. If you could meet anyone, who would it be? I pray your answer is Jesus Christ. And in truth, if you have believed in him as the Holy One of God, then you have. He is with us. His supernatural authority reigns over and around us, and we need not fear anything fearful. He has all authority. His bare word is in your hands, your ears, and before your eyes for the reading. And his life, his eternal life, he gave to you in full on a cross and from an empty tomb. Jesus delivers a new teaching with authority to his people, to you, and it is the teaching of himself. You must believe that he is the Holy One of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you came as the Holy One of God to a place in a people that did not recognize you, that were wrapped up in their own teachings. And yet, Lord, you came as the one who could expel a demon with your bare word. You came as the one who would live, die, and rise again, the one who would give us your word, your bare word, that by it and working through it, you would change us and make us into 
into your children, God. Lord, I pray today that we would believe upon you as the Holy One of God, that we'd stand in awe and accept your authority, that we'd hold your word as it is astonishing and precious in our hands, and, O oh Lord, that we would confess you with our entire lives. You are good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.